Okay, so continuing. Yesterday, we said that David HaMelech, King David, said that when Shimei ben Gera is cursing David, even though God didn't come down and divinely say, Shimei, curse David, but the fact that he's doing it means this is what God wants. Notwithstanding, Shimei made a very bad, poor, wrong choice. And God will have an accounting for that choice. But that does not remove the fact that if this happens, God wants this to happen. That's why it's happening. God, at this moment, is providing Shimei with life, with the power of speech, with the ability and the investment of life that is saying these words. And this connects back to something that we discussed at length when we learned the gate of unification and belief, that on the verse in Tehillim and Psalms, forever God, your word stands firm in the heavens, the Baal Shem Tov explained that the combination of letters with which the heavens were created, let there be a firmament, stand and remain vested in the heavens forever to animate them and sustain them. And this is not just only true for the heavens, this is true for every single creation, however small, however great. So there are those philosophers that deny individual providence. And they use a, as the Altareva says, false analogy. And they compare the work of God to the work of man. So if a metalsmith completed a vessel, his hands don't have to stay on it. He can walk away. And the vessel remains intact. So philosophers apply this model of man taking metal and making a vessel to the creation of heaven and earth. And they imagine God created the world. We'll give him that. But once he created them, they don't need him anymore. So what these philosophers are doing is denying ashkacha pratit, denying individually directed divine providence, denying the creator's constant Ongoing vivification, contact, investment in all of his created beings. So they're missing something very fundamental. They don't see the difference between a man taking metal and making a bowl and God making heaven and earth. Now, what's the major difference here? When man takes metal and makes a vessel, he's taking something that already exists and he's changing its form, he's changing its appearance. We call this yesh me yesh, something and something. Had this shapeless piece of silver, it already existed. It's innately malleable. And you moved it. The craftsman didn't innovate anything. And therefore the vessel, once it's shaped, doesn't depend on him. But when God creates heaven and earth, this isn't something from something. This is something from nothing. And for something from nothing to exist, it's only if the creative power constantly is vested within it. And this wonder, the wonder of our existence, is far greater than the biggest miracle of all time, a miracle like the splitting of the sea. Now we know when God split the sea, it says there was a strong wind all night. And through that force of the wind, this took waters that naturally flow and are very fluid, and miraculously gave them the rigidity to become walls. And if that wind had stopped, even for a moment, 
the water would have flowed downward by nature. Now, what do we have here? This miracle is not creating something from something. The water already existed. The water creation is something from nothing like the chair you possibly are sitting on at this moment or the car you're driving. Those are all something from nothing. The water already existed. That's not the miracle of the splitting of the sea. Not only does the water exist, but the characteristic of fluidity is also something that was created, something from nothing. So what is the great miracle of the splitting of the sea? To take water and change its nature. Instead of water having a fluid nature to flow, now it has the nature of a solid to stand erect. Now, that's not the nature of water. And therefore, there has to be a constant, continuous force to change from the nature of fluid flowing water to this rigidity that it could stand as a wall all night. So what do we see from this? Even when something that already exists, like water, is only changing a property, we still need this emanating force constantly to maintain that miracle. And fluidity is not even a characteristic intrinsic to water. Fluidity is a characteristic that was added to water, meaning certain characteristics are not created separately. They're intrinsic. All creations, for example, occupy space. God didn't make water and add to water the ability to take up space. Water's existence means it takes up space. But water doesn't have to flow. Many creations don't flow. And even water in its ice-solid mode doesn't flow. So fluidity isn't even intrinsic to water. And yet, for water to change from being a fluid substance to being a solid substance, there needed to be the constant animating force to maintain this miracle. So what are we proving from here? So if this is so, that we're taking something that exists, and all we're doing is changing one of its properties, and we still need a constant animating force to make it happen, how much more so for creation? Because creation is not something from something. Creation is something from nothing. So these philosophers made two mistakes. First of all, they were relying on this misleading analogy of, you know, the coppersmith or the silversmith and God, failing to note the difference between something from something and something from nothing. And also, they're not realizing, as we see in the miracle of the splitting of the sea, that the activating force must be constantly invested within the created being for it to continue. So if this is true for splitting of the sea, far more wondrous than the splitting of the sea, is creation. It's something from nothing. And for us, for our existence, for every single atom on this planet, not to revert to nothingness, we need the constant activating force of the creator that is continuously present within the thing created to give it life and to give it continued existence. And this force that is within every single creation, however minute on the spectrum, is the word of God, is the breath of his mouth, 
that, as we learned, are found in the ten utterances with which all universes were created. And this applies all the way down to Earth, the physical Earth. The physical Earth possesses a potential that enables vegetation to grow. Now, when we're seeing growth, this testifies that there's this activating force that's energizing it. But we also have things in the Earth that we don't see growth in. There's domain, inanimate, inorganic aspects of the earth. And we don't see life in them. We don't see growth in a stone. It just is. But that stone exists because of the word of God found in the ten utterances is invested in that stone and maintains them as inanimate, as inorganic matter as existence, and if the word of God is not in the stone, it would revert to nothingness. And this is what the Arizal, Rabbi Gloria, means when he explains that there's a soul, there's a spiritual life force, even in inorganic matter, even in inanimate, even in stone, even in dust, even in water, even in things that display no sign of life. What is the soul? What is the spiritual life force? It's the word of God. It's a divine speech that continuously creates all beings. It is a divine presence. And therefore, we are saying, if in, in everything, even in every stone, in every rock, in every speck of dust is God's presence, and God's presence has to be in that speck of dust, because otherwise it wouldn't exist at all. So how much more so in every human being? So when a human being is doing something, God is animating him at that moment, which means God wants that thing to happen. Well, why would God want something bad to happen? I don't know, not God. It's part of God's master plan that's definitely beyond my understanding. But I know it's from God. Because God is the master of everything in creation. Because nothing would exist if he wasn't at this very second revivifying it. 